Hi everyone, I am Dennis and this is Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups. Shiv Valley was created to bring Sheffield's entrepreneurs and the city startup ecosystem to the forefront of attention and increase the connectedness between and visibility of local ventures. Before starting, I wanted to quickly address the ongoing war in Ukraine. Now, I don't want to turn this podcast into a political one. You're here to listen to founders in Sheffield, so I will keep the focus on that. I just wanted to say that I do support Ukraine. I hope they come out of this invasion together stronger. So as a small act of support, I will leave a couple of links in the show's notes, which you can use to donate to the country's army or to different organizations that are currently supplying the country with food and other necessities. Now, moving on to my conversation with Martin Hyatt, the first member of the Transform SY cohort who steps foot on Sheep Valley. But before we start, I wanted to quickly remind you what Transform SY is. And I say remind because if you want the full story, you can go and listen to the episode I recorded with Mike Stephens, program lead for Transform SY, link is in the show's notes. In 2020, South Yorkshire was lagging behind other regions in the UK in terms of tech ecosystem development meaning that there weren't enough high-growth tech businesses in the area. Team SY, an abbreviation for Tech, Ecosystem and Acceleration Market Making South Yorkshire, was born because of this problem, and it was a joint project between Capital Enterprise and local authorities. Team SY aims to develop the local ecosystem and businesses by bringing more than 10 startup accelerators in South Yorkshire, one of which is Transform SY. Being delivered by Entrepreneurial Spark, a company with a decade of global experience supporting entrepreneurs, Transform SY aims to transform the mindsets of founders in South Yorkshire, but also help transforming the whole ecosystem and the idea of entrepreneurship as a viable career path itself. I can dive deeper into the different ways we support founders on our program, but I will make this part too long, so I will just leave a link for more information. We officially started the program with our first cohort on the 10th of January, with 18 businesses in all sorts of sectors, green tech, ad tech, software as a service, food tech, and more and more. The program has been a blast so far. Few businesses already created new jobs. Founders who joined us at the pre-revenue stage have already made their first sale. It's just good news coming one after another. And while I work on Transform SY, so I'm definitely biased, I can confidently state that our cohort is as strong as any accelerator cohort in South Yorkshire currently. And I think it it could be because of the diversity in industry, size and stage of development, which opens up really interesting channels for collaboration. Hopefully all of these great people agree to join me here and come to talk on Sheep Valley so we can also listen to them and learn even more about the local ecosystem and the great businesses that they're building. And now on to my conversation with my first guest from Transform SY, Martin Hyatt from IOTech. Martin joined IOTech only a few months ago, tasked with developing the startup's commercial side and partnerships. He has a wide range of experience between university and the private sector. And when it comes to IoT, there's hardly a person who can better translate the technical language of Internet of Things and clarify it for the non-techie audience. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Martin, and I'm currently working for IOTech, a cybersecurity company. And my position within the organization is Head of Business Development and Partnerships. Martin, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Before we dive into IOTech, I just want to learn more about your career prior to joining this exciting startup. 
Okay, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've had a varied career, and it, it really started from my 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 biological background. And I did a couple of degrees in biology, and ran a research lab in a university, and went to America and did my postdocing there. So, you know, it was a, a very good vehicle actually to gain a lot of experiences. But I left the academic world to join a an SME actually, a biotechnology SME, and that really introduced me away from bench science to all the other activities involved with a business and developing a product. And so I, I initially started as developing a product and then got involved with marketing and communications and technical support and all those kind of things. And, and that really was quite a big transition for me. That opened my eyes to, to the possibility of how you know you could turn turn research into research into product. Then sort of the next phase I did some science sales with the health and safety laboratory in Buxton selling scientific services. And then 12, no, 15 years, I combined my sort of science and love of that and my ability to interact with businesses by running about four or five um, ERDF projects for the University of Sheffield, where I was engaging with companies to access technology and expertise within the university to help them innovate. And, and, and of course, more recently, I've jumped out of that side of the knowledge exchange and I've joined the startup iotech and back again into product development and sales. Yes, and actually, it's really interesting to hear that because if, to me, it's it seems like you had everything kind of in your career planned before that. So you had the academic experience, then you moved into business, then you went back into academic, but it was a field where you combined the two of them, and now you're back into the commercial field. So as a person who is current, I'm, I'm currently thinking about the future of my career and how I want to construct it. And I just wanted to know whether when you were when you were young, you had this idea in mind where you're going to kind of jump between academic and commercial field, or is this something that kind of happened with the time, natural involvement, and you, it wasn't something that you really planned step by step? Yes, I, I, I would definitely say it was something that wasn't planned. I've always been interested in technology. So I've really, my over, over, overarching sort of philosophy on my sort of career development is you've got to, you've got to enjoy what you do. And so some jobs I've, I've left because I wasn't enjoying it, but others I just spotted opportunities and thought, wow, this is something I'd really like to get involved in. And, and, that, and that certainly was the case for, for IATEC because I'd been managing a project for a couple of years within the university to turn a pharmaceutical tableting line into an IoT device, which is obviously top end. And then suddenly this opportunity of working on the lower end of IoT in terms of the type of technology that's involved in, in sensors versus a manufacturing piece of equipment. It was very interesting because I was beginning to appreciate the, the range and I could actually apply my expertise to, to, to help IATEC. So yes, it was a, an opportunity that I couldn't, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Brilliant. And now this is a, this is a good segue into, into IATEC. So you weren't the founder of IATEC, but now you're deeply involved in the business. And I just want to ask you, for people that haven't heard about the business, what is IATEC and why was it founded? So IATEC was founded by uh, three co-founders and they had a uh, the purpose of IATEC was actually to develop a cyber cybersecurity uh, piece of software that could go on resource resource constrained devices. So the pharmaceutical line I mentioned before was not a resource constrained device. I mean, it had you know big computers associated with it, Ethernet and all that kind of stuff. But the the, the segment of market that IATEC go for and the solution they've actually developed over the last three years is targeted towards resource constrained IoT devices. You know, so that could be devices with uh, limited processing power, limited bandwidth, transmission of data, or, 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 or power consumption. It could be battery operated. So that, that was its target, target market. Brilliant. 
And so that leads me to my next question. What, what does it really mean to protect our data? So this is a bit of a trend, isn't it? In the last couple of years, especially since uh, I'd say the um, Cambridge Analytica scandal was probably the first mainstream scandal that really made the, the, the general mass of people aware of the, how fragile our data really is. But what does it mean to protect our data? From what are we protecting our data and why is it important? Yeah, I mean, well, really, I'd like to start with really that our, we've seen a transformation over the last couple of decades in our, in our economy and society, where data has become, as, as Clive, Clive Humby commented on, data is the new oil. You know, so this is basically where, where the value our economy is moving towards is the, the data that we generate from all the equipment that we, that we monitor, measure, interact with. And, and so, of course, as soon as something, a commodity has a value like the data, you know, then it's, it's vulnerable to mis- misappropriation. Basically, people will, you, you know, will also recognize the value in the data and would like to get their hands on it. You know, and, and, and in most instances, that isn't very desirable. That could be from your, your banking app on your phone, but, but it could also include things like um, in, in our marketplace of the constrained devices, the smart light bulb um, and the activation of a smart light bulb in your home, which might give someone the indication that you are not at home and you've got some security. And that is probably something you don't want to share. You know, and that's becoming quite evident as we become a more data-driven society and extracting value from this data. It does need to be protected because there's an amazing amount of information you can get out of people and and, and their lives that you, you might not want to share with everybody. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And you mentioned the word constrained devices. What is the difference really between constrained devices and non-constrained devices for, for people like me who I really, I really don't know, I haven't heard these terms before I started to engage yes. with IoTech. Yeah. And how is it different for, for how is the innovation piece different? Because on your website, you say that you're doing, it's IOTech is involved in innovation for resource-constrained devices. How is it different to innovate for constraint and non-constrained devices? Yeah, so, so, so a typical um, non-constrained device that everyone would be familiar would be your, your laptop. And okay. when you access your, say, your, when you go online shopping or access your bank, you'll do it through a web browser, which usually has the protocol HTTPS, you know, and the S really stands for security. And, and that's based on a security system that is, requires quite a bit of processing power, which obviously your laptop can deal with. It's got big, powerful processors in it or your phone. It's usually you don't have a limited bandwidth because you're connected to the internet either via ethernet or, or through or 5G or Wi-Fi. And, and, and the bandwidth isn't an issue, you know, the, or no, the power isn't an issue because the, the, the machine's actually usually plugged in or has a massive battery, you know, that will last all day. So, so uh, a constrained device is a device that doesn't have the features built into it, really. So it has, it has very limited sort of the processing power. It's basically got just one job to do, and it's just got, and it will just process the, the information concerned with that job. So that could be a temperature sensor in your home. And usually that could be a battery-powered device. You've got very limited power, and you don't want to be changing the battery every five minutes. So it'll be sending very small packets of data reasonably infrequently compared to, um, say, a laptop. That's what it means by constrained. You know, there's, you haven't got much to play with, but you still need the security that uh, a laptop can provide. And that's what IATEC have developed. They've provided, they have developed security that can actually provide similar protection, but in an in a innovative way, yes. Yeah, okay. I kind of start to understand that. Uh, but what's what I want to dive deeper a little bit is the, the innovation piece itself. So how different it is to build this security for non-constraint from constraint? Is it kind of a different technology? 
Well, the, the technology is really based upon what well, the, the non-constrained devices generally use a, a protocol t- called TLS. And, and yep. that requires a lot of computing power and exchange of certificates and all these kinds of things. And the system, so we, we don't actually use a different encryption system. We use a, a symmetrical encryption system based on AES. And, and it's the way we do the initial session key exchange between the device and the intended recipient. And so, and so that's the novel bit of our technology so that we can then jump into the less power consuming or processor consuming AES encryption algorithm. So we haven't invented a new algorithm. We've just um, uh, designed a new method on how to connect securely devices and then using a secure and standard um, encryption process. Understood. And now moving on to the regulations that apply to, to IoT. I know that this was one of the main things that you were mentioning, the multitude of regulations that are coming into place uh, that will really boost IoTech's business because you're delivering a service that will allow a lot of companies to, to adhere to these regulations. So for non-tech people and for people that are non-IoT specialists, could you just take us through these regulations and uh, help us understand why are they important? Yeah. So, I mean, the the driver behind all this is that current statistics show around 80% of IoT traffic is unencrypted. And this is basically resulting in about 20% of organizations suffering from IoT-based attacks. And so that that indicates there's a huge vulnerability in the system, you know, and and that will lead not only the, the, the user of the piece of the device, the IoT device, but also, you know, the provider of that service vulnerable to attacks and hacks and Trojan viruses and, and, and ransomware and all this kind of stuff, which is obviously going to be before for, you know, most people and big companies. But when the security is being tightened up there and it's reasonably tightened for the larger providers, Apple, Google, whoever it might be, Facebook. But now the, the, the criminals are now targeting different areas to get into systems and, and different and get access to valuable data through different routes. And IoT is, uh, is obviously a very, a very, very accessible route. And the government has recognized this. And so they're bringing in legislation to actually uh, ensure that all pieces of IoT equipment and, and IoT equipment is an Internet of Things. Anything that connects to the Internet has some basic security. And that's been in the news recently. Default passwords of zero, 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 you know, are, are just not going to cut it anymore or, or no security at all. There's going to be there's going to have to to be able to sell and use these types of devices in the UK. And this is happening in Europe. And also in America, they're bringing in legislation that there's going to have to be some basic security associated with the device built into it. And, that, and that's basically what IoTech offers. At the moment, it's been difficult because, of course, they're resource constrained and, and, and that's the solution that we offer. I, I want to test your sales persona now because obviously being head of business <laughs> development, you need, you need to be selling IoTech. That's what my next question really is about. What's different about IoTech than any other data protection company? If, I, if I'm building an IoT resource-constrained device, why would I turn to IoTech rather than any, any other players on the market? So uh, at the moment, I mean, we, um, we were always looking around and we believe that we're, you know, we're the only provider or one of the only providers for, for resource uh, constrained devices. I mean, there are many solutions available, but, they, but they're not uh, very applicable and they're not very cost effective because, of course, the types of devices we're talking about at the relatively cheap and cost effective themselves, monitoring quite basic things. And, uh, and I was secondly, what really makes us unique is that we are we are. IoT device and endpoint recipient agnostic. I know that's quite a mouthful, but basically what that means is we're dealing with the communication and the encryption 
of the data between where the data starts its journey. So it's, that will be the IT device. So we have we're not we're not going to tie any of our prospective clients into a particular ecosystem of IoT devices. The whole point is it will go onto any IoT device because it, they all need protecting. And then usually the other end, what I mean by endpoint recipient is where is that data going? You know, is that going to an edge device? Is that going to Amazon Web Services? Is that going to Apple? You know, is that going to your own server? And again, we don't care where it's going. We will adapt the technology so it'll go into the format that you want to the location that you want. So again, we're agnostic at where, where the data is going. And I think I think that's going to be a really unique for any clients that interact with us because they're not going to get any vendor lock-in. We're not interested in that. We're just interested in securing the data and making, making that available and secure for everyone. Right. And my next question is about the state of Internet of Things in 2022. Now... When I hear Internet of Things, what I hear is smartwatches. Uh, I have I have to admit, I don't use a lot. Well, I mean, I probably do, but I don't know, uh, or I don't kind of associate them with the Internet of Things. And I just wanted to ask you whether we think we're past the, the so-called peak of inflated expectations based on the Gartner hype cycle of technologies, where you know, a technology is, is born, then there's the peak of inflated expectations where everyone thinks that this is going to be the thing that solves every problem in the world. Then we go to the the, the plateau of disillusionment, I think was the next stage where- yeah, The trough of disillusionment, yeah. Yes, the toro of disillusionment, that, that's right. Which basically everyone says, okay, well, maybe this actually sucks. And then we, we reach the plateau of productivity where we now find uh, appropriate application for this technology. So where is the internet of things in your opinion in 2022? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. And it depends on, on the type of uh, device you're talking about. Okay. So I would say that, you know, for different markets, it's occurring at different rates. So obviously the c- consumer tech is very prevalent. I mean, that it's available absolutely everywhere. Uh, and I think we've been very well exposed to it. I think the, I think businesses and, 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 and are generally keeping a bit more quiet about it because of course they, I think they appreciate that this type of technology will give them competitive advantage. They're not quite sure how it will give them competitive advantage, but they, but they realize that they could actually do a lot with some information, some data on their, on, on their product or their process. And that's really quite clearly seen with the, the big players like Google, Google, Apple, Facebook, or Meta, as they call themselves now. They're, they're really extracting masses of value out of their data and, and, you know, and, and that sort of fed back to us through advertising. But now we're, I think now the next cycle is really how do people use their own data or, co- or companies and organizations use their data to actually drive efficiencies. So, I mean, a, a very good example, I think, is would be the net zero agenda. You know, at the moment, everyone is very concerned or, or we've got a quite a hefty target of the UK being net zero by 2050. But at the moment, I would say 99% of organizations and people really don't know how their energy usage is going. And so, so the democratization of IoT devices and the securing of that data would be a great step towards that. So people you know, could then start monitoring in home very easily what their energy usage is. Businesses could do the same. And that way, by identifying where your waste is, you can then, once you've identified it, you can actually do things about it. Insulation, switching machines off at night, putting them into low power modes, whatever it happens to be. But without that information, you will never know. So I, th- I think I think we're really now just at the cusp of what we would call, you know, the smart, the smart factory and the and and, and the smart city. I mean that, and and that's very much coming. And I think that really is being also driven by the build build back better 
policies that are the governments are now developing. And certainly the, the local authorities in, in the Sheffield area are very keyed into that in terms, of, in, in terms of making everything better for everybody. But we first need the data. And constrained devices are you know, readily deployable at scale. And, and it's a very efficient and easy way to collect data. But you just need to do it securely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like that you mentioned smart cities because my next question is actually about smart cities. Uh, and you also mentioned smart factories. So I'll be interested to hear more, more about that. But uh, how far are we from the concept of smart cities? And how are those going to make our lives better? Now, you mentioned efficiency. Re- realistically, from me hearing this, one of, the, one of the ways that we could utilize IoT is by just using the data to be more efficient in our energy usage, as you said, and so on and so forth. But yes, if you could just expand on smart cities and smart factories, they're state in 2022, but more importantly, how do you see these two concepts developing in the next uh, 10 to 15 years? Okay, yeah, so I, I, think, I think everyone who lives in Sheffield is very aware of a big piece of smart city, if you wanted to call that. And, and that's basically the smart motorway that runs over the flyover and, and the, the, the signage that now says 60 miles an hour for pollution. And so I think at one point it was down to 50 and it's recently gone up to 60. So they've identified that a reduction in pollution can be achieved by a reduction of speed over the flyover. And that was really demonstrated through setting up rather large mobile or station monitoring stations around the city. There's, and there's only a few data points there on that. But they, they clearly showed that, you know, this reduction in speed had a great benefit on the, on the local environment around that flyover. So what's the next step? If those were big pieces of infrastructure, very expensive, but with IoT constrained devices, people can then start or, or local communities or local, or local authorities can start monitoring at a more granular level. And then that opens up the possibility of, is this planned bus route going to influence the amount of particulates, say, down this particular street? Or will keeping the trees act as a screen to reduce, reduce carbon dioxide and increase oxygen and filter out contaminants? And all that kind of stuff can be um, easily monitored, resource-constrained IoT devices. So I think, I think there'll be a, a democratization of, of, of how we can deploy and gather de- sensors and gather the data from those sensors to actually make a, a more, more granular decision as, as the technology matures over the next few years. So again, I think it's big growth potential, particularly in smart cities. You think that the, chain, the changes will be driven more by the private sector or do you think that innovation is already there and the technology is already there, but it just needs to be, to be moved forward by, by the public sector and the policymakers? It's a, it, I, I would say it's a, a mixture of both, I would okay. say, yes. I think, I think people now appreciate that there is an urgency with climate change, mm-hmm. energy reduction, which go hand in hand. So if you can do both, you, hopefully you will improve, you'll prove, improve the other. And, and as be- people become more aware of their local environment, and we're now more hybrid working, staying at home. So lack of commuting in, into the city, that's obviously going to have a, a positive effect. But then, the, but then where does the pollution move to next? That could be your, your local environment. And that would need to be monitored to discover the effects of those. And, and certainly the uh, mayoral combined office, the South Yorkshire mayoral combined authority, are aware of this because they, they're developing policies to build back better greener i mean that's one of their their big mantras they're very because we need we need to improve our local environment and living conditions because at the moment it's only going one way and that's going down so this will provide an opportunity so we can monitor measure and remediate from this downward trend yeah and obviously this is a massive question Uh, i don't expect you to have the answer but i rather want to hear your opinion are you an optimist or a or a pessimist about 
the, the, the changes that needs to happen so we can get to net zero carbon carbon emission? Yeah, well, I mean, as I said at the beginning, I'm a scientist and or have been trained as a scientist. And uh, there's one thing talking about it, but if it's not evidence-based, then you, there's nothing you can do. So at the moment, I'm a, a bit pessimistic because really not much is happening and it's not really being driven well by the government. But I'm also an optimistic optimistic because the potential to actually solve this problem through an evidence base is you know really quite possible right now and i'm sure over the, in fact I, i'm aware that these kind of solutions are being considered and are you know and they're looking to be deployed um in, in various aspects so yeah so i i'm, I'm sure it'll happen soon hopefully yes. now we want to get back to your role now as head of business development for iotech now, could you just expand on that? What what do you do inside of your role, and what's coming for Iotech in the next year? All right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so so yes, business development and partnership. So I mean, I I really see that the, the partnership bit is the crucial part to how Iotech operates. I think the issues, the societal issues, and and the solutions that are on offer can't be solved by one organization. It's going to need collaboration and cooperation between many organizations. And that's very much, you know, the ethos behind how IATEC operates. We provide one link in the chain, but, you know, we, we will rely on a lot of other people who make the sensors yeah, and the people who then analyze the data and you know, make decisions upon that. You know, so it, it's it's all it's all part of the supply chain, which is a, a small part of the supply chain. But I think we're a pivotal, pivotal part in the supply chain. And, and really for us in the next um, 12 months, we have a product now that's available. It's um and people can come and test it hopefully very soon because we're going to put it for sale on the website. So manufacturers of IoT devices or people who want to use an IoT device but want to ensure that their data is encrypted and safe will soon be able to trial our software to see if it's suitable for them. If not, they can obviously speak to us. We're very much into development and solving problems, so we'll work in partnership with them to help them achieve that. And so what we're really looking forward to is developing a, uh, a customer base really in, in smart city and smart manufacturing area. Smart manufacturing because, of course, we're in Sheffield and there's a lot of manufacturing. And I think we, our solution could be part of, of helping increase productivity for, for local companies. And, and we certainly know that there are early adopters like Tinsley Bridge who are you know, beginning to explore this type of data gathering from their, from their fabrication and manufacturing floors. And so and from then from there, we're really looking for growth and scale up. And, and as you alluded to before, I mean, that's why we're part of the Transform SY cohort, because we're looking to do with like-minded companies. We're all in different areas, but we all have one, one common goal is that we're, we're looking to grow and provide a solution or a service or a product you know, that's going to enhance people's uh, lives in the, in the Sheffield region and beyond, I am sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, as you, as you said it yourself, there is not many 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 better cities to be in when you're building a smart manufacturing device than than Sheffield. It's uh, the the digital and additive manufacturing sector is amazing, and we're also growing the startup ecosystem currently. So I just wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit more about what's it been like to work for a startup that is part of the local ecosystem and uh, how. How much have you been able to tap into that? It's been, I mean, I have to say it's been really amazing. And, and, and really what, I mean, one of the really nice things that of my experiences so far is actually being part of a cohort and an ecosystem of uh, like-minded people. I mean, there's some, some very clever things coming along and it's going to be really exciting. A whole range of technologies, a whole range of services. And I, 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 th- I think it's also the, 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 the can-do attitude 
of someone who is embedded in Sheffield because it has the the heritage of making and manufacturing and and certainly proved that in the past. But I can I can totally see that from you know the tradition still continues. You know we do it quietly, but it's coming. It's a force to be reckoned with. And and I'm not just talking about Sheffield. I mean things like the the, the digital media centre in Barnsley and and DMC too. I mean the the thought. And the drive behind actually providing digital solutions is is very prevalent here in Sheffield and, and its greater environs. Yeah, very exciting place to be. Couldn't think yeah. of a better place. Yeah, and by the way, shout out to DMC Barnsley because obviously she she valued this particular podcast. I'm focused on on Sheffield based businesses, mm. but it, it, DMC Barnsley is, is such an amazing place, really. And uh, Barnsley is a small town. It's not a big town, and to have this digital cent- digital center. In, in its center is really amazing. And uh, I just love what they're doing for the local community as well. So really good for you to mention them and sh- shout out to Tracy and the team yeah. there. Uh, Martin, shall we move on to the five questions I ask all of my guests at the end of the podcast? Yes, absolutely. Great. I'm keen to hear what book are you going to recommend for future founders or even current founders? So it's not rocket science, and it's and, it, and it's probably something that everybody already does. And it, it's a book called Coopetition. So it, it's a, a, a word smash of cooperation and competition. And, yeah. it was, and it was written by a couple of guys in about 20 years ago called Nail Buff and Brandenburger. And it's basically the use of uh, game theory into business strategy. And it's all about um, win-win situations. You know, so, and as I said, my role is partnerships. And, and the whole point of a partnership is that it's a win-win situation and we can't do it in isolation. And, and though it's nice to ha- read philosophy in one book and understand the whole idea when it's being constructed in a, in a logical and profound way and, and, and so it's a it's yeah it resonated with me very much so and it's been something it's how science has always been done certainly you know in in my time over the last 30 years the Isaac Newtons are very rare these days it's all done in collaboration or working together you know towards common goals so and you need a bit of cooperation you need a bit of competition to drive to drive things forward. So oh, yes, I really like that book. Yeah. The first time I hear about it actually. So thanks for the for the recommendation. And I'll check it out. And I really like uh, the point that you made about competition because you, you saw even yesterday, you saw even yesterday on the Transform SY event. And we we do pitching at every event. But then yesterday we introduced the competitive element and it immediately made things a little bit more interesting, a little bit spicier. And it's just added that little competitive element that made everyone's drive probably a bit bigger. So I completely agree with you that healthy competition can can lead to results. Absolutely, absolutely. The next question is about so usually here I ask I ask the founders because uh, usually I talk with founders on the podcast but and I ask them about the name of the business. Now you probably know what the name is but I wanted to ask a more interesting question. What is one business idea that you've had but you never actually built? Oh, uh, uh- I can't really speak for IATEC on this one, but this this goes really back to my dim and distant past, and it's relevant today actually. And 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 that was when I was a biologist. I was uh, at the the beginning of the RNA technology that's now uh, been deployed in the vaccines produced by Moderna and, and Pfizer. I've moved a lot in my career, and I think on balance, I would say I'm so much more pleased that I've experienced lots of different things. It would have been fascinating to have remained in that field over the thirty years and maybe played a role in the vaccine development that's uh, you know occurred in the last two years. 
So maybe that's a, a little bit of a regret, but then I would say that the, the positives of meeting a whole variety of different types of people in different fields, whether that's you know, powder metallurgy, cybersecurity, or whatever else I happen to be involved at the time, it has been much more profitable for me than sticking at one thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My next question is about, about a place in Sheffield, or I will expand even to South Yorkshire because Transform SY is about South Yorkshire. So is there yeah. one place in Sheffield or South Yorkshire overall which you would recommend for people to visit? Oh, that, I mean, I have to say, this has been the hardest question <laughs> because uh, I've got a list of about four or five. So uh, am, am I allowed to expand beyond one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, w- one of the first things I ever saw in Sheffield was at Kellam Island, which is the, the, the River Don steam engine, which is this massive steam engine. I mean, it's so impressive. And it's, you know, a real testament to Victorian engineering and industry in Sheffield. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see. Um, it, even if you only go to the museum to see that, the rest of the museum is fabulous. But uh, but that this thing is amazingly large and powerful. But then I would say at the other end of the scale, because of the the sort of the local industry, especially in sort of in, in the metal sector, is a Wortley Top Forge, which is in Wortley, quite close to where I am located in Peniston. It has the largest water-powered heavy iron forge, and its, its history can be traced back to at least 1640. So really going back in time. So the manufacturing legacy in, in, in the Sheffield region you know, has, has, been, has been immense. But then I wanted to throw in a couple fun things, and I think one of the fun things that we like doing, I like doing, is uh, going out to eat. And if no one's been to Vero Gusto on Norfolk Row for a dinner, then they should really go there. If you love Italian food, that's definitely worth a stop for a, for a dinner. And then I'm going to be even cheekier and, and throw in something outside of South Yorkshire. And, and that's the, the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. Wonder, so if you're into your big sculpture, they're certainly there available, Henry Moore, Barbara Hepworth, whatever it happens to be. But it's also fabulous countryside and it's a great day out and lovely to walk around and, you know, really nice views. So, I mean, a very, very nice spot to visit, though it's in West Yorkshire, <laughs> but only just. <laughs> yes. cool. I, like the, I like the Italian restaurant recommendation. I think I've passed by it before. I've never, I've never been to it, but I will definitely listen to your advice and visit it. Now, for the next question, it's, it's the philosophical question amongst them. If you had 15 minutes with your 23-year-old self, and just to, just to tell you why it's 23 exactly, because I'm 23 and I decided to use this question egotistically by getting some, <laughs> li- by getting some life advice uh, from the people that visit my podcast, what would you tell the 23-year-old Martin? Well, I, 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 what I would tell him would be to be open and accepting of uh, new ideas, technologies, philosophies, diversity, culture and people. Because certainly the one thing I've learned on the preceding X years, I won't say how many post 23, <laughs> is that you just don't know where the, where the next big thing's coming from. You, you, you just have no idea where it is. And, and, it, and if you're open and accepting, you'll, you'll be there able to monopolize and benefit from it or, or appreciate it and, and that's certainly the, the thing I would you know say is don't shut anything down you just don't know where, where the next best thing is obviously you've got to make your own judgment of what you think is you know shutting worth shutting down or not but I mean yeah just open and accepting it'll pay dividends <laughs> great and now the last question for today what is your big hairy and audacious goal for IOTech well I mean, a, a multi-million pound organization like Facebook, maybe. I think, I think realistically, what we're looking for is we believe we've developed a significant piece of technology that's going to 
help people transform our environment and how we work in the future is going particularly because we know that the the digital revolution is you know coming on hard and fast and the the amount of digital embedding into our lives is just going to increase obviously we need to do that uh, safely and and, and securely so we would love to do is we're limited we're, we're limited by our imaginations so we've got to think big and, and as I sort of alluded to in my last answer, I'd love to meet people where, where we can empower them through our technologies to achieve real impact and solve societal changes through the use of secure data. We're looking for those early adopters who can see the power of what we've done and, and then they can dream beyond and, 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 and really solve the big issues that we're all facing at the moment. Great stuff. Martin, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for your time. Very enjoyable. I hope that this episode was interesting to you and you were able to learn something new for the IoT sector while also learning about Martin and IoTech's journey and aspirations. Martin's social media profiles are in the show's notes if you want to connect with him. This will be the end of today's episode. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, follow me on Twitter or connect with my personal LinkedIn account. Again, all links are in the show's notes. There will be a new episode very soon, so stay tuned and as always, thank you for listening and have a great day.